0: Hello, and welcome to the Uneasy Terrain Explorers Club podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Doe, and I'm sitting here over Skype with the one and only Fred Vogel, the mastermind behind the August Underground Trilogy, the founder of Tag Pictures, and the director of his latest film, The Final Interview. How are you doing today, sir? I'm doing good. How are you? Pretty good. I appreciate you taking the time to sit and talk with me today. Um, no problem. <laughs> I wanted to uh, kind of start from the beginning. Um, you started your career as a special effects artist uh, teaching at the Tom Savini Makeup School before you ultimately ended up deciding to make your first film. And I was wondering, what was it that inspired you or gravitated you towards that kind of work? Um, well, I've always been into
1: horror uh, from the time I was like five years old. I saw Frankenstein for the first time. And uh, that kind of put me right on the path of like loving the macabre. So, um, you know, I started watching a lot, you know, lots of movies and, you know, any book that I could find on horror and then horror leads to special effects makeup and movies. So, um, you know, growing up in the early 80s, mid 80s, it was like the heyday of the special effects artists and guys like, you know, Tom Savini and Rick Baker and Rob Bottin. Um, you know, those guys were my heroes. So uh, I pretty much just stayed on that path. I knew that I had to study art. To, uh, to get there. And I always did that. So I was always pretty good at drawing and painting and then sculpting. So that kind of got me, you know, got me rolling.
0: Awesome. Um, were, were there any particular films? Like what was your evolution from like seeing uh, Frankenstein into getting into more extreme and underground cinema?
1: So saw Frankenstein early. Um, and then I was very lucky that my mom uh she kind of she told the my local video store that i can pretty much rent anything that i wanted so when you know little kids weren't allowed to rent r-rated horror movies i was allowed to and um because my mom knew that i i got it you know these, these are special effects i was fascinated by it i was fascinated by the artistry of movie making and um you know, going from you know picking up every movie on the shelf. So, uh, you know, at that moment in time, you know, you had like the birth of the Nightmare on Elm Street movies, Friday the 13th films, um, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And as you, you know, as you're grabbing movies on the shelf, you'll see stuff that's, you know, like, ooh, I I spit on your grave or Last House on the Left. And you're like, but these movies get even darker and uh, you know, I was more attracted to that as well. Um, but I also love, you know, I also loved a lot of exploitation films, um, a lot of comedies. Uh, you know, the '80s was a really great time for movies. I don't know if it's just being biased because that's the time I grew up and I was watching a lot of stuff. <laughs> but um, I think that there is a lot of really great um, choices made from a lot of filmmakers making some really interesting stuff. So.
0: And so in 2001, you made your first feature film, August Underground, and uh, what was your inspiration behind making that film? And was it challenging to find actors willing to participate in the kind of content that that film has?
1: So when I was teach, I was I was making little movies in college with my buddies. So I always knew that I, eventually I was going to make a movie. Um, and, you know, I moved from New Jersey to Pittsburgh because Pittsburgh was the home of Tom Savini and George Romero. And um, I knew that I, can, I could probably shine and work with those guys. Like, that was really like the goal it was like, move to Pittsburgh, study special effects, go work with Tom Savini and George Romero. And um, I wrote um, a zombie script um, because, you know, Romero is obviously the, the master of the zombie movies and I wanted to kind of do my own trilogy. But it was just too difficult to raise that kind of money. So I was teaching um, and I knew that my special effects were pretty good. And if I could just figure out a way to make something that will be kind of on the cheap, uh, you know, that might be my my breakway in. And at that moment in time in history, um, the early, the late 2000, you know, the late 1990s and early 2000s, anything shot on video looked kind of crappy. Uh, but there was definitely movies being shot on video, and they were it was cheaper than shooting on film. And I'm like, well, I know I can afford shooting on video. Um, I just got to figure out, you know, a concept that'll work. And um, at the time when I was teaching, a few of my students were writing to serial killers—Richard um, Ramirez, Charles Manson—you know, the the whole bunch—and uh, it really bothered me because, like, as as much as like I'm. You know, fascinated by why you know serial killers you do what they do and you know, the the mindset these people have. Um, you know, why? What if what if somebody you know killed your mom? And you know, you have a, there's people that are fans about that kind of stuff. So, I was just like, you know what? I want to make something that really shows what a what a serial killer is, or like you know. So I just studied and I researched and I read every book that I could find and, um, you know, from that, August Underground was was born and as to for finding actors you know I didn't have any money so it was anybody that I could talk into doing this and um it was you know it was friends it was you know people I'd never met before that I you know was like hey you want to be in a movie oh yeah so you know I I definitely ran the gamut with uh, you know all different kinds of people making that movie
0: um one scene that really stood out to me is a scene where you, uh, or your character goes up to an apartment and, uh, assaults and ends up killing an old woman. And I was wondering where you found, found a, a woman that would be willing to do that.
1: Uh, that's my grandma. <laughs> so, you know, I was, uh, I was very supported by my family and my arts. Um, so my mom supported me a lot and my grandmothers, uh, both supported me. And I remember, um, asking my grandma i'm like grandma you know like i really want to do this scene with you where you know i kill you because you don't really see old people getting killed in movies you know And i thought that would be really disturbing and like you know that's what you know august underground is all about that. Is like what well, can i you know which scenes can i make that will be like people have never seen before so she she was like sure whatever you want to do when she was 81 years old at the time and um I remember that scene was all done in one long take in the movie. It's edited because it was just too long. Mm -hmm. Um, It actually was like, I, you know, I help her in the house and the cameraman sits in the car and he waits the whole time talking to himself and then goes up into the house. And like, I had to literally get my grandma upstairs. The, The kitchen was already dressed like with, like with the food all over the floor and everything. So all she had to do was just lie down and, you know, let me put the fake blood on her. And um, I remember right before we did the scene, I'm like, grandma, I'm like, I'm going to take out your dentures and play with them. And she laughed at me and was like, whatever you want to do, sweetie. So uh, and again, I just think it makes for one of those really haunting scenes that you've never really seen in a movie before.
0: Yeah, I mean, it it's it it gives that sense of real like realism. Like, I honestly feel like you could probably give that to an unknowing person and they would probably think it was real. Well, that's
1: the whole thing with August Underground is that, you know, if the scenes didn't come off as real, then they weren't going in the movie. Yeah. You know, like for, for me to pull off the trick of what August Underground is, the cinema verite, home video, uh, found footage, whatever the, whatever you want to call it. Um, I knew that I had to make these things look completely authentic and there were times where, you know, shit kind of came off wrong or, you know, I, they, I wasn't feeling it and it just didn't make it into the movie. And it's been like that with it's it's like that with all of my movies. Like when it comes to like having being things authentic and being real, you know, I, I play in that realm. I want my violence to look real. I want my scenarios to feel real. So.
0: Oh, you definitely pulled it off. <laughs> Um, from what I've read, uh, it's my understanding that once the film was completed, um, Alan Peters, who helped you make the film, wanted to pull his name from the project because of its brutality, and uh, you ended up having to abandon your original marketing campaign of leaving VHS tapes of the film in random locations for people to find, and I was wondering um, if you could tell us the accuracy of those claims and how the film ultimately ended up being uh, distributed.
1: Uh, it's all true. Um, so, Alan Peters was was kind of like my partner in crime during the making of the movie. Um, you know, he was, you know, my, he was like my, one of my best friends at the time. He believed in what I was trying to do and wanted to get behind it. He wanted to make movies. Um, but he was just in a different place than I was. I was I was really like, fuck it, let's just do it. You know, 22, 23 years old. You know, he was the same age, but he, he had a kid. He was married um i think he felt like there was more to lose for him you know this this little movie that we made for no money um was just so vile and foul and stuff and uh i just think you know at the you know when, we, when i first started sending review copies of august underground out and people were like what the fuck is this like nobody's seen anything like it at the time and people were like do i need to call the cops on you for sending me this and um, I think that really scared him a lot, and especially when um, you know the whole thing of like I want to drop this off. You know, I was I just finished college. I just started teaching at the time, Tom Savini School. So all of like my high school friends are now you know seniors in college or um, graduated, living all across the country. I was I was gonna get everybody to help me just drop these tapes off, and um, I was you know willing to totally get arrested and caught four of them and what a fucking publicity stunt that would be (laughs)
0: yeah
1: and i was big into that stuff man like blair witch really opened the door and showed that hey you can make a movie for no money but if you got a really good marketing campaign uh you know people will pay attention and i'm also a huge fan of wrestling so like i know you need a kind of like you need a gimmick you need some things to kind of like pull people in uh so i was just influenced by all that at the time and uh, unfortunately, when I wasn't able to drop the tapes off because I, I because of nine eleven, and I would have gotten arrested big time and not just like a day in jail until it was all, oh, it's, this is just Fred making a movie. Um, you know, the world was in pretty much, a, you know, a crazy state of time at that moment. And um, I ended up meeting Rod Godino, who is the owner of Rumorg magazine at a horror convention. That I was selling August Underground August Underground out of my backpack. And uh I gave him a copy. And it was just a blank tape with some blood on it. it said all uh, here's my card. And um about a week later he contacted me and was just like, Holy shit. He's like, I'm gonna put you on the cover with Rob Zombie. <laughs> He's like, I don't know, I've never seen anything like this. I literally brought um you know, everybody who works for me in to watch some of this and people were like ready to vomit and running out of the room. And, you know, that was really impressive because at the time, the only people that have seen the movie were the people that I sent the movie out, for, out to review or my friends and my friends would be like, Oh, Fred, you're gross. You know, uh, they just saw me cause they knew who I, they know that it's, that's just Freddie Vogel, you know? Um, mm-hmm. uh, but the people who didn't know me, it really terrified them because it just showed that, you know, the guy from down the street could be, you know, having a girl in his basement right now tied up, sitting in her own shit with her nipple cut off.
0: I mean, that was that was my experience. I, I mean, I thought I was, like, this badass because I had, like, watched Cannibal Holocaust and seen, like, I spit on your grave. And then I found, I got a copy of August Underground and I put it on and, that opening that opening scene where you guys walk down into the basement and she's tied to the chair like i turned it off like i was like this is too fucking mean-spirited like (laughs) i can't handle this um but it then it was like looming in my mind like haunting me like are you really this big of a pussy that you're not gonna fucking sit and watch this movie and so i had to like go back and i watched it in segments uh and I, f- I finally finished it and it was kind of like a badge of honor like it was a whole new level when it came to like extreme exploitation films so it is it, it is that you know August Underground is that movie it's
1: you know for me it was Cannibal Holocaust or Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer you know uh the next that next generation of people looking for something extreme uh you know There were some movies that came out, like Eric Stanzi's scrapbook, you know, came out before August Underground, but it just so happened that August Underground just was just so realistic and so nihilistic. And um, that opening scene, I knew that I had I had to punch you right in the face as soon as as soon as the movie started. And, you know, the the look of the movie, like the degrading of the tape, all of that stuff was just, you know, it, it helped it helped the film just have that really authentic look and you know we've all seen home videos before and they just start and stop whenever the camera turns off there's there's no real narrative to them and um i knew that had to be you know one of the things that you know held the movie together was like okay like i still wanted to tell a story but i had to make it vague enough to where it still was a home video when not just uh A bunch of scenes put together and that's what it always bothers me when people are like you know these movies are there's you know there's no story behind them and there's um you know what are these things and um if you really pay attention you know you can there's stories in all of them you know
0: yeah i mean i mean looking at the whole trilogy as a whole like you can definitely see that there's kind of like it's like a big character study of these people and and they're them falling apart (laughs) their lifestyle is not functional um so um in 2003 you would release the sequel to august underground uh, with august underground's mortem but it's my understanding that you never intended to make a sequel to the film and i was wondering what factors ultimately resulted in that sequel being made
1: what happened um with that was so ragadino from remorgue was friends with killjoy from necrophagia so when rod saw the movie um he was he contacted pretty much everybody he knew that was into extreme stuff and was like yo you got to see this movie this guy in pittsburgh made so i get a call from killjoy and i had never heard of necrophagia before Mm -hmm. and you know he told me who he was and he's like he's like hey can you send me a copy of august underground and at that moment alan just left um I didn't know what I was gonna do, like the you know the movie was kind of just at of standstill um, and uh, I was kind of waiting for the Rumorg article to hit so I didn't know i didn't, I just didn't know what was re- what was really gonna happen and um he's he's just like well i'm gonna I'm gonna send you a package of necrophagia stuff so you kind of know that I'm legit and if you can send me the movie. So he sent me this package, a bunch of records and T-shirts. So I got to see who Necrophagia was, and it was pretty cool because like Phil Anselmo from Pantera was in the band at that moment in time,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and the, uh, you know, Jim Van Beber was making their music videos, and I heard of Jim Van bever Um, and Killjoy and I kind of hit it off. I I sent him a, I sent him a copy of August Underground on like an old wrestling tape. So it probably started off with like a WWF, you know, WrestleMania. And then August Underground plays. Um, but that's the that's the way that I was sending them out at the time. Like I was just using all the old crappy videotapes that I had at home, and I would just dub shit onto them and send them out. Um, but also at that time, my best friend in college, Jeremy Cruz, um, we were talking about starting something, and then I met this other dude at the local video store who was also a filmmaker. His name was Michael Schneider. And he was making movies and it was just kind of like the right time to like, you know, join forces with all these creative people in Pittsburgh. And, um, you know, we we kind of all got together and we're like, hey, let's we're going to do this thing. And, you know, I got this August Underground thing that's, you know, people are talking about, like, let's kind of use this. And that's what Killjoy wanted. He wanted to do a video for Necrophagia that felt like an August Underground movie and wanted my character in it. So that's how it all started, was starting off doing this music video for, ne- for Necrophagia. we just wanted to have all these different scenes. Um, and as we started shooting this video for Necrophagia, another uh, piece of the puzzle comes in, and that's uh, Christy Wiles. And, you know, this girl is an amazing artist. And, um, you know, she was crazy and fun and... Uh, You know, I know when she saw August Underground for the first time, it really freaked her out because she thought it was real. Mm -hmm. You know, like, when she saw that I was not that and I was doing these videos and things were starting to happen, she wanted to get involved. And again, it was just all these different ingredients kind of coming together that would eventually be, like, the early stages of what Totag became. And then even Shelby, my wife, um, came in around that time as well during, like, the making of all these scenes for what would become August Underground's Mortem. Um, and you know, Killjoy was the one that was like, Hey, let's, you should, we should just really just do this as a sequel. And, um, I, I was like, Oh man, like, I don't, I don't, I don't know if I want to do a sequel. Like I wanted to make this one movie and then I wanted to go and make something else. But, uh, it was just a no brainer. You know what I mean? Like we were doing these things that, you know, the art was really, popping at the time, and the cr- people were being creative, the, the scenes Michael was coming up with, and Christy was coming up with, and the, the effects that Jeremy was, was coming up with, it was all starting to come together, and that's really what built August Underground's Mortem.
0: You talked a little bit about um, like <laughs> a willingness to get arrested when you were doing the first August Underground film until the whole 9-11 thing happened. But there's some really like infamous scenes in in Mortem, specifically the the bathtub scene. And I yeah. was wondering uh-huh. if uh, you guys <laughs> sat and watched that and were like, "Are we gonna get in legal trouble for this?" because absolutely.
1: It, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but, I, uh, it brought me to tears the first time I saw it because it was so powerful. And, you know, I'm just like watching it for the first time. And this, this, you know, the sound design in that is, all really going on. Like everything that you hear in there, like just the TVs and the noise and the dog barking and the screaming and, you know, all that stuff was really happening and it was just super, it was, it was, it was this crew was crazy. And I remember like that, that day we had Art Ettinger from Ultra Violent on set doing an on-piece report. So he was literally like right outside that room you know so there's like this you know, crazy chaos going on with this last scene by we have like an on-set reporter <laughs> that day um but you know it was one of those things where we again were just you know august underground kind of opened the door to this world and you know, everybody was just like trying to cram as much in as possible. And I think that's why the movie is just so chaotic and it's so brutal. It's just because there was no fucks given. It was just like, let's just go and, you know, oh, you, Christie was like, I got these girls that'll let me throw up on them. We're like, all right, let's do it. <laughs> you know, the more fucked up that it could be, the more we were willing to go. The thing was, is that Jeremy and I, we were more, filmmaker based you know we were about making sure everybody was safe and it's still a movie you don't have to hurt yourself or do anything silly like that but uh you know christy and michael at the time were very um uh very method and you know they would take it to the next level on a lot of stuff where it was just it was hard for me you know it's like wait we don't need to you don't need to cut yourself like Jeremy can put some fake blood on a fake knife, and it'll look just as real. But uh, you know, again, it was just it was just that moment in time of punk rock filmmaking. You know, that's really what it was. It was just a bunch of young people with no fucks to give. Let's let's terrify the world, and that's what August Underground's Mortem is.
0: I mean, <laughs> that's definitely true. So, so the, so the scenes where they're cutting themselves, those are all them really cutting themselves.
1: That's legit. Yeah
0: that's that's awesome um so there's a a rumor that while you were traveling up to canada for a convention that you were arrested uh for transporting copies of august underground and august underground's mortem and i was wondering if you could give us any light on whether that's true and uh if it is true like what are the details about what happened with that
1: it is true um i was arrested and detained at the canadian border i was going in to do an autograph signing with Rue Morgue up in Toronto at their Festival of Fear. And we were doing a makeup for Clive Barker. We were doing a Cinebite makeup. So, you know, with the past, three days prior, no sleep, building this giant costume, you know, to do on Christy, Jeremy and Shelby and myself, you know, working on getting this makeup together. And then getting so excited to release the snuff editions um, up in Toronto. So um, how it worked was, was August Underground's Mortem came out first on DVD. And um, I prior to that, I did 200 VHS tapes of August Underground. But I was waiting to put this super August Underground special edition out. So we when we put out August Underground's Mortem, August Underground wasn't available on DVD. I think that's why August Underground's Mortem has that popularity to it, because it was our first like DVD that people started to see. Mm-hmm. But um, I was super stoked about people getting to see this, you know, awesome two disc uh, August Underground DVD that we were making, and we were crossing going into the border, and um, I was detained. Um, reason why I was detained is because I'm on the FBI list. Um, when August underground was first coming out, I sent the movie to a lot of, uh, film festivals at the time. And, um, some countries have different obscenity laws. So, um, when I sent the movie to the Fantasia film festival in Montreal, um, those guys were already on the list because they were showing movies like Nacho Sierra's aftermath and, um, Subconscious cruelty and, you know, films like that. Mm. So the, you know, the FBI was just looking for shit, you know? So my name gets put on the list. Um, am so I'm, I, I get in trouble for, you know, bringing in the smut into the country and that's why they didn't want me in or my movies in, but after being detained for like 16 hours, um they called somebody from ottawa down and did a background check and saw that i was you know teaching college and doing all this stuff and they're like this guy's not you know i had like i had my portfolio i'm like look this this girl with her throat slit that's my girlfriend standing over there in the corner you know Mm -hmm. Um, but you know they just they have rules and they have their laws that they have to to stand by and they just they didn't let me in um so when You know, I had to call Rue Morgue and be like, yo, guys, like, I'm arrested here at the border. Like, something needs to happen. Those guys did everything they could to help, and I finally was released. And, uh, but they wouldn't let me in with any of my merchandise. So I went up to the Rue Morgue Festival of Fear with no movies at all. That sucked because that probably would have, like, you know, put some money back in our pockets because everything that Totag does is all self financed. You know, so when we put out $3,000, that's a lot of money, you know? And uh, we were hoping to make a lot of money selling the movie up there because, uh, you know, Canada is amazing uh, fans of horror. Mm-hmm. So we were hoping it would be really good for us, but unfortunately it wasn't for me.
0: <laughs> Does that currently give you, like, you still currently have problems traveling because of that or, or is all that kind of resolved now?
1: Um, everything's been pretty good. Uh, you know, um, when I go into Canada, I... Um, it's been a while. It's it's been probably six seven years since I've been into Canada, but um, there hasn't been a problem. I just try not to bring my movies up there, <laughs> yeah. if, or if I if I need to, you know, I'll send them early and you know not take them with me crossing in. Yeah. They yeah. just don't like you bringing in shit. You know what I mean? They don't want you to bring in your smut. You can make fucking nasty movies in Canada if you're Canadian. Yeah. Uh, you know if you're a filmmaker
0: from Pittsburgh and you're bringing in your smut they don't want anything of it (laughs) Um, so my next question is there are currently two different cuts of Mortem that are available there's the release that you put out through Toe Tag and then there's a cut uh, that Michael Schneider released through his company Maggot Films and I was wondering if you could tell us the difference between these two cuts and why these two cuts exist Um so Michael was pretty much the editor
1: um when we were making August Underground's mortem. So he was, you know, kind of putting all his stuff together. And at the time, again, I was just like, oh, this is a cis music video. I really wasn't I was really wasn't all about it. And I ended up going over to Europe with necrophagia to shoot a documentary over there called success. And when I came back, August Underground's Mortem was edited. So I watched it. And I was like, Okay, you know, wow, there's a lot of there's a lot of Michael in this movie and not a lot of Fred in this movie. Mm -hmm. And I remember when people started watching it, they're like, Fred, how come you're not in this like August Underground is you and I'm like, "Ah, I don't even care, whatever. But then I started to care. And I'm like, wait a minute. Well, this is, you know, August Underground is mine. This is my franchise here. Like I need to, you know, take back what, you know, what is mine. And I I didn't have the creative input that I should. So it was decided, you know, that Michael wasn't going to be working with us anymore. So Christy, Jeremy and Shelby and myself, we ended up making toe tag legitimate and becoming a corporation and you know we were like well we're gonna take back this movie because it's not his august underground is mine and you know we're gonna i'm, I'm gonna fix we're gonna fix this because jeremy wasn't happy christy wasn't happy with what michael was the cut that michael had so we ended up shooting some scenes that really make the movie. because the movie didn't if you watch the maggot cut and if you watch the toe tag cut there's definitely more of a story arc you know that the christy character's brother is maggot and she's fucking him and cheating on am in like there's drama because of of that with my character so there was like little pieces that i went in and reshot some stuff that really helped make the movie work where i felt michael's cut was just clip after clip after clip after clip of, of just vileness you know
0: mm-hmm.
1: and um to me it was more important to show a little bit more story and show less dick you know what i mean like i think you know michael's got michael has himself showing his, his his dick a lot in that movie um but again it was just you know you you have these young artists all working together you know, and they're, and they're, and they're putting everything into it. Like Michael was putting a hundred percent into it. You know, I was putting a hundred percent into it, even though that I just didn't know what I wanted this to be yet, but the ball was just moving so fast. And I went, then I get sucked away to Europe, you know, and I come back and I'm, and my, my girlfriend at the time, like, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling these things for her that I want to marry her. And, you know, my life was just going crazy, you know? So, it just didn't work out creatively with toe tag and michael schneider so toe went on and was just like listen you know like this is this is our movie and you know he knew that but he ended up like kind of bootlegging his own version and people started seeing it
0: mm-hmm.
1: and uh it got to the point to where like you know we had our lawyers send you know send a letter Saying, you know, season assists and, and stop, but then, then we thought about it, and then we're just like, you know what? Like, let him put it out. Like, you know, whatever. He worked hard. He made his own thing. And there was a, there was a moment in time where him and I did not get along with each other, and it was it was kind of uncomfortable. Um, both being from the same city, and you'd running you'd run into each other at different you know events, and there were just there'd be that hostility. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because you know he. had his own thoughts about me and I had my own thoughts about him and eventually we ended up going out to lunch and talking about everything and working things out and it was just again, at that moment in time, when you're a kid, when you're in your 20s, it's hard to express yourself and be open. You know, when you're in your mid-30s and you open up that can again, it's easier to talk about and that's really what it was. It was just, you know, at that moment in time, he was going through some Heavy duty shit with his family. I was going through some heavy duty shit. Everybody was Christy, Jeremy, Shelby. Like we all were, um, because you know, being Toe tag is was is was being a punk band. You know, we all lived in the same house. When we made enough, you know, we all ate, shared food, we did everything, and just put everything that we could back into our art. And um, you know, when you're a starving artist, and your art is you tampered with or you feel like it's not getting the the deserves that it gets it, it makes it it can put some bad shit into your head so um you know that's that's really what all that was all about but everything is all good
0: yeah it's awesome that you guys were able to kind of like bury the hatchet and, and yeah because yeah. he's
1: a talented filmmaker you know i mean he came to the he came to one of my screening of um the final interview and i was so happy to see him you know and uh I, like i before all the bullshit that happened with, you know, August Underground's Mortem with him and, you know, him and Totag and myself, whatever. Um, I was a fan of his, you know what I mean? Like I, I when I saw his first movie, The My Crepitus, and, uh, um, oh shit, uh, Tribute to Sanity, uh, you know, I was a fan. I was just like, oh, this guy's, you know, this guy's super talented and he was more of an auteur, you know, he edited and wrote and did the score and acted and did fucking everything where I'm a director and a producer. So like I, you know, I get the, I get the, the money behind it and I get to put the people together and I create it and then I direct it, you know, that's just my whole thing. And then I trust my cameraman and my sound guys and, you know, the rest of the team to work where Michael is very, just like a one man band. Yeah. So I think that's kind of, that was just another piece of the puzzle that wasn't working for us as a whole at that time. as we were a group
0: well uh talking about toe tag uh once you guys kind of like established as a as a company you began working uh doing effects for nick palumbo's murder set pieces and i was wondering how you guys got involved with palumbo and that project and and what it was like working on set for that film
1: Rod again from room the new nick nick made a movie called nutbag and uh, Nick was getting ready to make this new movie called Murder Set Pieces and he wanted you know effects. and um, when I was away in Europe, he contacted TOTAG and was able to get a copy of August Underground and August Underground's Mortem. And uh, when I got back, you know he was ready to, to hire us. He's just like, well I saw the movies and um, I really want what you guys did in this, but we're gonna shoot it on 35 millimeter so to us we were like holy shit like that's real movies like we're just making these little you know shot on video movies that nobody's gonna see you know this guy's making a two million dollar movie shot on film and with you know Gunnar Hansen's gonna be in it and Tony Todd's gonna be in it and so we were just like fuck yeah let's let's go to Vegas and, and do that um you know Nick Nick is a, a fan of horror movies and I'm just a fan of movies in general too. So I, I re- we hit it off, you know, loving movies. And I love, I love people who we can just talk shop about film, all kinds of film. And Nick was definitely one of those guys. Um, but Nick was also, he wasn't, he wasn't the healthiest dude, you know, and th- that plagued the film. I think it was a little hard because he just wanted, he wouldn't feel good or whatever. And um, it kind of helped. It, it brought the morale down a little bit. And it was just really difficult. Like, cause we were in Las Vegas for months living in this million dollar mansion, but there was like no furniture in it, no nothing. I was literally sleeping in the master bedroom closet because it was the only room that was dark enough. Cause we would work all through the night because Vegas is like 115 degrees in the daytime. So we would work at night when it was cooler and then sleep all day. We're like fucking vampires. And the only room that, and there was no curtains in the house, so, like, the only rooms that were dark was the closet, you know? So I was pretty much, like, living in this closet the whole time. But I always say Murder, Set Pieces was uh, one of my best and worst experiences ever because it was my first time being paid as a special effects artist, making, like, real money. I met some people that I cherish to this day on that movie. Um... Uh, it was it was a lot of fun, but again, it it was a lot of stress, and it was a lot of bullshit, and it was a lot of, you know, uh, there's def- there there's there's problems, you know, uh, chemistry problems with people, you know, who who looked at us as we, you know, we were like little kids, you know, our camera crew was uh, older than us, the DP was older than us, and, you know, he saw Jeremy and I and our other guy Ricky at the time as these kids, you know. And uh, he's like, well, I'm not going to listen to you kids. And we're like, no, dude, this is how you do these special effects. Like, this is what we do. So that was interesting.
0: I mean, I I think how the effects turned out in that film is pretty awesome. I mean, you guys made some really amazing sets in that film. Uh, So even with all those challenges, I think it in execution was turned out pretty well. I think we did some really great
1: work, you know, and it was a big, huge learning experience, you know, we're in Vegas. We don't have our own supply. You know, it's like you have to figure out where you're going to get all the supplies. You're in a different city. Like, I mean, we never knew fucking Las Vegas. So, um, yeah, but, you know, all movies have problems. Like, you are you know, nothing's ever perfect. You're always going to run into something. The The thing is, is that when you're a filmmaker, you need to be a problem solver. You need to be able to, you know, turn on a dime and fix the problem so you're not just standing there with your are taking your hand and being like, what the fuck are we going to do? Yeah. So, uh, you know, there was definitely there was definitely a lot of that because you know it was just uh, it was just challenging with all the shit that was going on at the time.
0: So in two thousand and six, you would release your third film, the Redson Tower. And I was just curious like what was your inspiration kind of behind that film because it ha- it kind of grabs at so many different subgenres within horror. I mean, you've got the possession element, you've got the kind of teen slasher element going on. And I was just wondering uh, what inspiration you derived from to make that film.
1: So we just get we get back from doing murder set pieces. We got some money in our pocket. Um, We open a studio in Pittsburgh. And it's like, all right, now we're going to make the next movie. What's it going to be? And the last thing I wanted to do is make a fucking other August Underground movie. I really wanted to show people that I can, I'm not this like one trick pony that just makes these snuff movies. Like I want to make a fucking real movie. And um, one of the guys that we met on murder set pieces, his name was Shane Sauer and he, he was a grip on murder set pieces, but he was a DP as well. So I told him, I'm like, dude, when I get back, I'm going to write a script and I'm going to call you and we're going to make a fucking movie. So we, we get back to Pittsburgh again, toe tag, is like a band you know it's a group there's you know everybody puts an in input and we you know we try to make stuff and i was a fan of slasher films and jeremy is a fan of possession movies and uh so we knew that we wanted to, to like make our first ma- to let's say toe tag made a mainstream movie that was the goal behind it, it Was like we're gonna make a toe tag mainstream movie and that's what we did you know we put everything we loved into it and uh shelby and i wrote the script and uh, you know Jeremy and Christy, you know, had their input in as well. I mean, it was a it was a definitely a collaborative uh, piece. But we built all the interior, you know, the sets inside our studio. Everything pretty much is inside of our studio that we shot. And um, it was it was cool because we brought back I brought back to like the Labonte brothers who were in August Underground and um, you know. And, it was it was just really great to make something that was a little bigger and it was a huge learning experience for us too. You know, it was the first time we hired a sound guy. You know, it was the first time we went, you know, we went and had a color corrected. It. it was the first time we, you know, I went to Chicago and had a sound design done on it. You know what I mean? I mean I had Scott Hall and Steve, you know, from Big Destroyer and Steve Moore from the band Zombie doing the score. I mean, it was uh, it was a big deal for us, and it was gonna. It was. I looked at it. This is gonna be the film that's gonna you know take us to that next level.
0: I mean, the the I was so impressed when I sat down and watched that film. It's it's clearly such a larger production, and it's a lot more. It's just it's just a big a big change, and I was wondering. Um, what what challenges did you face making this larger production film than like your previous August Underground films? I mean, you acted in August Underground, um, but you also acted in the Red Tower. But but on top of that, you're tack- you're tackling all these other people involved with that larger project. And I was wondering, well, what challenges did you face making that film?
1: It was a lot of challenges. You know, um, there's a really great documentary, the making of the Red Tower, on the the five disc DVD that we put out. Um, I don't know if you got a chance to see that.
0: I, but, I uh, have the five-disc one, but I haven't watched all the special features on the disc yet.
1: Oh, well, please, yeah, please watch the second disc. There's like a two-hour documentary of how we made it. But um, long story short, yes, the, you know, there's always challenges. I mean, you have an ensemble of, of kids, you know, and the thing was, it was like we were trying to shoot as much as we can, So I would, even if the kids might not work, some of the kids might not have worked that day, they were still coming in because if I, if we got around to it, we were shooting it. Like the schedule was kind of a little bit lax because we just were like, how much can we get? Then my sound guy, he was, um, he was a union guy. So he would only work 12 hours where we would work 18 hours, 19 hours, you know, like I would have to be like, okay, now we're doing MOS, no sound after those 12 hours and we would keep shooting, doing all different kinds of shit. You know, Cause I didn't, to me, I'm like, how come this motherfucker won't keep working? <laughs> like we're all working, you know, but it, it, again, it was just that, you know, we're young and hungry, you know, filmmakers. And this is a guy that's been doing it 30 years. That's just like, this is my job. I come in, I get your, get your really good sound. And then I fucking go home. So, you know, you learned a lot of shit that way. Um, Jeremy and Chris, you know, building the sets and, um, I mean, it was just amazing watching all that stuff, you know, being built and, uh, you know, getting the guts shipped in from New Jersey and, um, the makeups that we were doing, and know, I mean, there's the period piece where we needed the, it to look old with the hay. I mean, it was just, there was just a lot of stuff. And I mean, this movie was made by like nine people, you know what I mean? It was literally everybody wearing 30 fucking hats. So um, that's probably the most challenging about it, was that it was like this really huge movie that we weren't ready for, but we killed it because we were just so hungry and we knew that we wanted to make this happen.
0: Um, and so after you finished The Redstone Tower, uh, you moved on and began production on the third and final installment in the August Underground universe with August Underground's Penance. And uh, I was wondering what inspired you to turn the August Underground films into a trilogy?
1: I, I wasn't happy with August Underground's Mortem, um, again because I felt like I kind of abandoned it in the beginning, and it didn't have, you know, it. I, maybe I, I was still kind of, uh, I, I just felt like it, was, it wasn't finished to what I wanted, the story that I wanted to tell. And you know, coming off the Redson Tower, you know, I mean, it played the Fantasia Film Festival, and it was big for us, and it did all this great stuff but you know going back to making another august underground movie taking all the experiences that we just learned on the redson tower i knew that this was going to be like the best august underground movie and it really was like you know you know christy and i were super happy at the time like life was good there was no it wasn't like how life was when we were making august underground's mortem um and uh jeremy was you know you know that he did murder set pieces and the and tower his effects were just fucking top notch uh it was just it was it was the right thing to do it was the right thing to do to like close the chapter of these august underground films like right now and um you know to this day i still think you know august underground's penance is the best of the three um each movie stands alone as as a as a you know A monster of an underground film, but um, I just think the performances, the special effects, the uh, you know the different uh, vignettes and the scenarios that happen in that film are just better than anything else.
0: Yeah, I mean the the Christmas home invasion scene to me is like the scariest. Most insane home invasion scene I've ever seen in any movie. Like I was, I was blown away when I was, when I was watching that, and I had already seen the other two August Underground films, and I was like, "How are they pulling this off right now?" So and it, you know,
1: it's, it's crazy because, like, i you know, when I wrote that down on paper, it's, it, it can come off as stupid. You know, it's like oh the the killers come to the house they break in they rape the mom the the little girl comes down the stairs and they make her watch and it's like well this is either gonna make people fucking laugh as out you know out of the room or we're gonna make something that's super super powerful and again I think it really just comes into the acting you know like the performances from Christy and the performances from myself and the other actors in that scene uh, you know, that scene is a very very powerful home invasion scene i want to i wanted to like take the scene from henry and like multiply that by like five you know
0: (laughs) i think you did i mean that that there's nothing there's nothing like it honestly um well in april of 2009 uh totag would release kind of like a mondo style anthology film called murder collection volume one which is like kind of like a a mock version of like the real gore mixtapes that are often traded and bootlegged within the underground. And, uh, I was wondering like what inspired you guys to make that project and why did you guys decide to do like a surprise release of the film rather than like a typical marketing campaign?
1: So at that time there was a video going around, I think it was called two guys in a hammer. And it really was, it was from like these guys in the Ukraine killing some homeless person in the woods and it really reminded me of August Underground. And uh, I remember showing that video to Jeremy and I'm like, dude, like look at it, somebody sent it to me and they're like, Fred, is this real? And I watched it. And then I made Jeremy watch it. And um, you know, we both kind of looked at each other and we like, you know, we could totally recreate this. And that's kind of how it was born. It was like, what if we made something that looks like people are really being fucking killed. But doesn't leave that you know that pit in your stomach, knowing that somebody's actually being hurt. And uh, that was pretty much the basis of of murder collection. And uh, pretty much what we did is we would shoot a scene a day. You know, we would come up with an we'd come up with an idea, we would get the effect ready, we would you know make it all happen, and then just that whole day was literally for that scene that we were doing. And you know we we had a big casting call for it, and you know there's like the the Japanese autopsy scene which you know Jeremy did, which is fucking amazing, but you know like that guy had on his resume he spoke Japanese, so we're like perfect, let's put that in the movie. Um, Same thing with the you know the opening scene where the the Russian the father kills his son in the in the room. Um, You know the 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 actor knew a little bit of Russian, so we want I wanted to start the movie off with. uh, a different language so you didn't know what you're watching you know what i mean that was really important for me because i wanted it to feel like the internet when you're watching the internet you're watching different all kinds of shit And still in 2009 the internet was still kind of newish you know Mm. um uh at least you know stuff that was that i was able to find you you know go like rotten.com and whatever and see these kind of videos um we, we took from that and, and and made our own, and we try to put a little bit of morality behind it. You know the 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 bullied scene where Gromer gets stabbed by the by those punks in the woods. yeah, you know, like that's a really powerful scene. and you you literally watch like these bullies take over, and as soon as they fuck up, you watch them turn on each other and like that's what would really happen you know like and that's really where this you know the the scene starts where he gets stabbed to me you know and it's watching these these big jock guys just unravel and it was important to put that kind of stuff in like same thing with the broadway rob pedophile scene where the guy has the kids and he's dancing with the kids and you know i wanted him to get stabbed like 17 times you know what i mean i wanted those i wanted that to be brutal and, and, and violent um you know the whole the there's a really cool the 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 scene Shelby did with the um, the store being robbed all shot on the security cameras was really cool. You know, all those were the real cameras from the from the from, the, from, the, from the, that restaurant that we shot in. You know, that was all all legit just like that.
0: That's cool. I mean, honestly, I think I think it was really powerful of, like a good call to start the film out with the whole, uh, father beating the son in Russian. Like it just gave it a, a element of realism, like right off the, right out the gate. And the seg, my favorite segment was bullied because I, cause like right, like very early on, I could tell that these people had kind of like malicious intentions and it just, I had like a visceral reaction the whole time. Like they're going to, they're going to do something to this guy. And it did, it did kind of give me that vibe of the three guys, one hammer video for sure. Yeah. So, Um,
1: yeah, there's, you know, the, um, the ransom one is really cool. I think all this, you know, there's a, there's a lot of cool stuff in there. Like with the, the cheating guy with, uh, you know, that kills his wife with the axe, you know, like Mm -hmm. it was really important for those scenes to be long and dragged out and kind of just, you know, make you forget that you're watching a movie you're watching something real, you know. That was always the. I, th- I was. That's the key ingredient. Is sometimes got to linger a little longer so it feels real and it's not just edited, you know.
0: Yeah, it definitely, it definitely had that effect. Like it felt like it was just like a compilation of internet, and internet clips that were downloaded or something. so Yeah. Great.
1: If if I can if I can go back in time though, I would definitely change the marketing of that movie. You know, we it was a surprise. We wanted to surprise everybody. Like, hey, tech has got a brand new movie. Um, even like the, the cover, I wanted it to look like an encyclopedia,
0: uh-huh. but like
1: when we put it out there, you know, the original cover just has like the little M, the murder collection logo on it, nothing on the back, nothing. And I remember people would like go to buy it from us and be like, what is this? And it's just like, it's murder collection. And I'm like, ah, I don't want this, you know? And it really showed me how like, you know, artwork is important. Mm-hmm. So we ended up changing the cover, um, a little uh, later down the line, but, uh, You know, maybe it would have been more the wiser choice would be to, like, you know, do the traditional press release and get the movie, get people hyped up about it. But we just wanted to surprise everybody because our fans were the fucking best. And, uh, you know, it was really a gift for them.
0: Yeah. When it came out, I I thought, like, maybe it was like an older release that I had never heard of or something because I was like, I I couldn't find any information about it. And I was like, what is this? But I. It was pretty cool, like to sit down and watch it, and I I kind of figured out what it was. But I got I got the release with the original, that original art. But then I I got a second one with the the newer art, and I I think both of the art looks pretty cool. Um, yeah, how it turned out. Uh, in October. It's a
1: shame that it gets overlooked a lot that movie. But I think it's I think it's really good and still holds up to this day.
0: Yeah, I mean I think, I think uh, it's kind of like a a hidden gem within your within your catalog because I think uh I think maybe because of that marketing aspect some people don't know about it but I think that people who are interested in in your catalog when they find it, are like oh this is pretty cool is there any plan for you guys to release a a second volume of that or is you probably just going to stick with just one volume
1: um we're not sure you know it was designed for us to to make more but um you know toe tag is always when we want to make something it's what we make at the time we're not just going to make something to make something yeah like it was important for us to make that movie at that moment in time because that real shit that was coming on the internet and you know that's what we wanted to talk about you know and maybe when we get influenced by that kind of stuff again you know maybe you know i mean like right now the world's all fucked up there's so many videos of police brutality and You know, all kinds of shit all caught on tape now. You know what I mean? Like, it's... You just watch the news being disturbed by it, you know?
0: Yeah. That same year, you guys would release uh, another film called Maskhead. And I was wondering what you could tell us about that film and and kind of uh, the process of, of developing it.
1: So Maskhead came about by me getting an email from Scott Swan, who is now Rebecca Swan, but Scott Swan wrote John Carpenter's Cigarette Burns for the Masters of Horror.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and I remember seeing that and being like, oh, this is like one of the better ones of these. And Scott was like, hey, I'm Scott. Uh, you know, I I love your movies. I want to work with you. And that was like, holy shit, like this is Hollywood, Colin. You know, they you know, they we've heard rumblings that they've, you know, they've seen our movies, you know. I've heard rumblings that Eli Roth had parties and would show August Underground and, you know, all kinds of shit like that. But this was actually Hollywood calling, saying, hey, like, Fred, I'm going to work with you. So we kind of, we worked on a few ideas. We uh, Scott came up with this this one project that we really wanted to do called Lee Harvey, about um, Lee Harvey Oswald and the Kennedy assassination. But it was just way too big. You know, there's no way that, you know, we could fucking... Finance this thing, you know. So we're like, well, let's come up with something. Someone's let's let's come up with something else. And then Scott came, and I remember the day he pitched it to me. He's just like, I got this idea for this guy called Maskhead. And as soon as I heard the name, Matt, and he's like, I'm like, Maskhead? I'm like, that is the lamest title I've ever fucking heard. <laughs> you know, I'm the guy that makes titles that people don't even know what he's talking about. You know, what the fuck is a Redson Tower? What is uh, an August Underground? You know, I'm gonna make a movie called Head. but um, he laid the groundwork for the story um, about you know Maskhead, and we we worked together on building like what Head would become. Like Jeremy was like, oh, we could do. I got this awesome. Let's do this scene where we like you know break this guy's arm and it's a compound fracture, or you know let's take these uh, jumper cables and you know. So we were coming up with all this kind of cool stuff and then Jeremy built this mask and uh we're like that's it so it all kind of it all started that way it was just like this kind of organic project that we could do for a very low budget swan was going to come into pittsburgh and see how you know how i made movies and that's really what it was and that started our you know our friendship and i'm still working with you know rebecca to this day you know she's uh <clears throat> you know she's like my one of my you know favorite persons to uh to write with and you know come up with ideas she gets how I, my brain works you know
0: that's awesome um in october of 2010 uh toe tag would release um cella uh which stars camille keaton from my spit on your grave and i was wondering like what inspired you to come up with that story and what was it like to work with keaton on that project
1: so at that moment in time, in 2010, um, we were, we were losing our studio. We, um, we had the 7,000 square foot studio and there's other artists inside this big giant paint factory. I mean, we had uh, you know, a, another production company was in there and, um, our accountant was in there and all these amazing other artists were all in there, but we had a shitty ass fucking slumlord who acquired these, the buildings illegally. So the city was kind of coming down on us because this guy didn't have the right permits. So we were like, Oh shit, well, let's, we need to get a fucking movie out before we lose this space, you know, and who knows what we're going to do. So, um, the idea was to, is to, you know, to come up, I, I, I really wanted to, to try my hands at like a drama horror film, you know? every movie that I make is me trying to get better and pick different things that I like. And I always thought that horror sticks better to drama. You know, like when you see, like when you watch blue velvet and, uh, you know, that cop is dead in the room, standing there and the fucking, you know, the the phone rings and the lamp, he knocks the lamp away. Like that shit's fucking haunting and creepy. Mm -hmm. I love stuff like that. So, um, my buddy Don Moore who was pretty much the main screenwriter for Selatercica kind of came up with the idea and you know the whole the whole thing too was like at that moment in time in 2010 you know you watch the news we were just constantly being lied to on what was going on overseas and you know all the soldiers fighting and it was all bullshit and Jeremy's cousin was an actual like fucking G.I. Joe like this guy was on his like sixth tour over there and Um, He would come back and just tell us, you know, all this shit. And we're like, man, we have no clue on what's going on. All we see is what's on the news. So, like, let's kind of, like, elaborate on that and make a movie about that. Like, the non-knowing of what's going on and what we're all being lied to. So that's kind of how Selandreska was born. And, you know, now that I look back at it, you know, these 10 years later, Bob Clark's death dream always pops up. When people talk about it and I guess you know now that I look at it it's like wow it really must have been influenced by Bob Clark's death dream because at the time I don't even remember even you know talking about death dream but uh it's funny how you know subconsciously movies that you love can kind of like inspire you later on you know yeah but as for Camille so you know this was going to be two tags first time with you know a movie star who does toe tag get you know there has to be some street cred to that right mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh camille keaton was the ultimate street cred you know this is i spit on your grave is not a mainstream movie it's one of those movies that still to this day is brutal and um you know it's made its mark in horror and um when we, it was good, it was either going to be a father or a mother. So it was like, all right, if we get a guy, who's going to be the guy? Is it going to be David? Do we get David Hess? You know, um, but let's make it about the mom. So once we made it about the mom, Camille Keaton was the, you know, the, the right person to get. And man, was that the right choice? She was so wonderful and she had such a great time. She's still somebody that I speak to regularly. Um, uh, I couldn't be happier to have her in my movie. Like, you know, I was, she was, you know, I spit on your grave, man. It was fucking sexy shit to me when I was a kid. So,
0: yeah,
1: uh, you know, just to just to have her beauty still, you know, at her age, and you know, she was just she was just loved by everybody and had such a great time on the movie. So, she did. A I'm
0: really,
1: so glad that we chose her.
0: Yeah, she did a really good job on that film. I, I was really impressed with the whole thing. Um, so let's move on to your most recent film. So within the past month and in August, you launched the pre-order for the final interview, um, which isn't a toe tag release and it's uniquely different from any film that you've done before. And I was wondering what you could tell people about this upcoming release and what they have in store for them.
1: Yes. So the final interview is my new movie. Um, it's not a toe tag movie. And the reason it's not a toe tag movie is because, uh, I want to try. I want to kind of expand, you know, my filmmaking and, and try different things. You know, Toe Tag is is pure underground horror art. You know, that's how I look at it. I think it's it's making movies with no money and down in the dirt and just pure rawness where the final interview is very structured and it was my first sag movie and I had, mo- I had a movie trailer and um, I had movie stars in it um it was written by uh rebecca swan scott swan um and she took the characters i created um from the story i was actually getting ready to make this this project that i've been working on for years now called pittsburgh body removal and the money fell through on it and i was getting frustrated and I was like fuck it's been like six years and i haven't made a movie and you know I'm, i'm one of those people who when they say they're going to make something, they make it. Like I was like, I'm making this, I'm making this Pittsburgh body removal no matter what it takes. And I won't make another toe tag movie until I make this movie. And I do that. Like I, I didn't care. I was just like, I'm, I'm so focused on getting it. And I got so close to the, to the door. And in typical Hollywood fashion, you know, they slammed it in my face and said, Hey, we, you know, you're the guy that cuts off nipples and smears shit in it later. So I was like, okay, well, now I'm just going to show you that I can make anything. And um, I came up with this idea about this interview between a guy on death row and um, a legendary, um, you, know, news, you know, newsman, kind of like a Geraldo Rivera or a Tom Snyder. And uh, that's the movie that I wanted to make. I knew that I could do it for cheap. And, um, when the, when, when Rebecca came back with the script, she added the female, um, director who was played by Diane Franklin, who was one of my favorite actresses from the eighties. And, uh, I was like, oh man, now this movie is going to cost me more money because now I need another movie star. And, um, I'm so glad that he did write her in because, you know, I was scared to make and try to raise the money to make a bigger movie because, you know, it's, I owe, then you owe people money. So, you know, I put everything that I had into it personally and then and I'm lucky that I didn't have to, to get a lot of investors, but, um, you know, it was, it was just, this is, this is the movie that I needed to make right now. And, uh, I'm so proud of this movie. I cannot wait for people to see it and, uh, see something new for me because it's been a while and, uh, I'm excited.
0: Well, I mean, you were kind enough to send me a screener of the film. And so like kind of in preparation for this interview, I kind of had myself a Fred Vogel marathon and I watched your films in chronological order. And it was really awesome uh, (laughs) seeing your evolution and growth as a filmmaker. And I was just so blown away at the final interview. I mean, it's acting, it's cinematography, it's score. I loved it. Score are like also top notch and it just creates like the perfect atmosphere and um and and the set is amazing. You shot in a prison, and I was just wondering, uh, what were and it's your first SAG film. I mean, I was just wondering, what challenges did you face doing something so large and and being with uh, with, uh, celebrities and and working with so many people? Um, what was the whole process like making it?
1: Um, so with Pittsburgh Body Removal, I ended up meeting my producer Ross Putman. Ross produced, um. You know, a bunch of uh, independent movies that did really well at Sundance. He's a Hollywood guy. He uh, he's an agent at Verve. I mean, he's this is this is he's a young Hollywood producer, and he loved Pittsburgh Body Removal. How I hooked up with him was through um, a, a director named Adam Raymeyer, who did The Bunny Game, and right now has a movie that's playing film festivals right now, which is really amazing, called Dinner in America. But, um, so Adam introduced me to Ross, you know, Ross and I hit it off. He wanted to make something with me. Pittsburgh body removal didn't work out. What was the next thing? I, I had it. And he's like, well, he's like, I'm going to come to Pittsburgh. I'm going to sleep on your couch. We're going to make this movie. So, and I was just like, that's what I'm talking about. You know, like, okay, this, now this, this is the team. Now I got to start putting the team together. And, um, cause I knew the script is really great. So getting the script out to, you know, Ross was, you know, super valuable because he would—he was able to talk to the agents and get the script in front of you know Granger and Diane and Damien, who was who plays the Darius Tidman, the serial, the the killer in the movie. Um, you know, he's been with me since Murder Collection. Um, he's the in the opening scene of Murder Collection. He's the the son that gets killed by the dad. He's in Maskhead. He's the star of Salatursica as Brad. So I knew that I had him. And now I was just trying to, you know, just, I just got to lock down the, the the other stars of the movie. And, um, it was, uh, it was, it was really, it was, it was just like making a toe tag movie, you know? I mean, 12 people, all, you know, one camera, you know, a cameraman, a camera assistant, and a camera B, um, shot it. And then I had, I had a sound guy and one makeup artist. I had one costumer. I had one production designer, I had a script supervisor, you know, I had an editor, and it was just, it was just a, uh, just the right amount of people to where there's no fat. It's literally just like, okay, we're coming in today, we're making this movie. And we shot the final interview in nine days because we were just so prepared. And, um, the actors were so prepared. Like, that's, you know, when you're dealing with these professional people, and you're paying these people. So they better come in fucking prepared. And, um, you know, when Granger came in and read with Damien and, you know, those guys, the first day, I think they, they we shot 18 pages of dialogue off book. So that means, like, no script. Those guys just went and knew it. And, um, you know, that was super impressive. And we were able to get the movie done in nine days, you know. Uh, so, I'm again, I'm just super, it was, it was, there wasn't really any any drama going on at the time it was just the hottest fucking week in the you know in august when we shot it that's all i remember
0: super hot <laughs> well that's awesome i'm glad besides the heat it was a pretty uh, smooth smooth process um yeah. so you're coming out with a three disc uh dvd set of the film and i was wondering for those who've pre-ordered what what are all the special features or or specs that we can expect on this on this uh set that's coming out
1: Cool. So the um, the pre-order right now, if you pre-order the movie, anybody who pre-orders gets to be put into a drawing to win one of these 200 prizes that I'm giving out. So in these prizes, it could be, you know, a, a, um, a fabric swatch from like, you know, Oliver Ross's costume, um, original artwork from Paul Naylor, uh, lobby cards, t-shirts, Autographs from the stars, you know, all kinds of stuff. Um, but what what you will get inside, no matter what, is you're gonna be getting a set of cards, character portraits from Paul Naylor. Um, there's gonna be like Oliver Ross's business cards gonna be in there. There's gonna be a signed uh photo of myself and Damian Marusak. There's gonna be a cast and crew photo. Um there's a 45 minute documentary on how we made the movie. There's an interview with Paul Joyce who did the music on the movie. There's three different commentary tracks, uh, one with Granger, one with myself and Damien and then one with, uh, Shelby Vogel, my wife and the producer of the movie and my editor, Jamie Lockhart and myself. There's deleted scenes. There's, um, you know, there's these really cool little vignettes of, like, the news reporters talking about Tidman. There's, like, a full one in there. Uh, so, I mean, it's it's loaded up.
0: That's awesome. <laughs> Excuse me. Sounds like it's going to be pretty bitchin'. <laughs> um, for those who uh, are listening who have not yet uh, pre-ordered, where could they pre-order?
1: They can pre-order the movie at thefinalinterviewmovie.com. And oh. there's only 1,983 copies. So... <laughs> Once they're gone, they're gone. You know, um, I'm kind of infamous for making small runs of my stuff. Uh, You know, like right now everybody's been bugging me because like it it was August so I put up a few August Underground Blu-rays, which have been out of print for like two years now. But I I keep like 10 of them, 20 of them, just so in August I can do, I can, you know, sell them nice and cheap for the fans and, you know, sign them and get them out there. Uh, instead of paying $200 on eBay for it. But that's what's going to happen. The final interview is going to come out. If you don't get it for $50, bucks, you are going to be paying $200 for it. So get it now while you can and get the opportunity to, you know, get some of this cool pre-order stuff. And there's going to be a grand prize winner of the pre-order that gets the screen-used Oliver Ross's briefcase from the movie, which will be loaded with uh, all kinds of goodies.
0: Oh, that's awesome. Well, you hear it, everybody. Don't sleep on it because – you're gonna cry if you don't if you don't jump on it um, so is there uh, anything else that you'd like to discuss before we uh, come to a close anything any final word
1: no um, well you know if you're a, if you're a filmmaker out there and you're thinking about making movies you know my advice is to do it and you know get it done work really hard study your craft uh, because the cream rises to the top you know so you know there's a lot of people out there just oh i can make a movie and then they make something and it's you know you're just wasting time uh but if you really put you know everything into making something you will make something that's special and uh you know sometimes you just need a little bit of encouragement to do it
0: well i had a great time talking with you i appreciate you sitting down and talking with me uh so no problem thanks man have a good one thank you Thank you for listening to this episode of the Uneasy Terrain Explorers Club. If you're interested in checking out my other work, please subscribe to my YouTube channel, Cinema's Underbelly, where I analyze and review obscure, obscene, and controversial cinema, as well as check out my label, Putrid Productions. Until next time, this is the Uneasy Terrain Explorers Club.